Welcome to the 902 podcast, the official podcast of the Lancaster County Sheriff's Office in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm Captain John Vick, and I want to thank you for tuning in. This podcast will give you an inside look at LSO with topics and guests to discuss public safety issues impacting Lancaster County. Be sure to subscribe for highlights on news cases and the people working for you at LSO. You can also follow us across social media by searching for at LSO Nebraska. That's at LSO Nebraska on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Welcome to the 902 podcast. We're here in the studio today with Sheriff Wagner and Chief Deputy Ben Houchin. Thanks, guys. Good morning. Happy Monday. We're here to talk about tactical response unit okay. stuff. And nobody better than Investigator Jeremy Schwarz, also a member of the LSO TRU. Yes, I am. Thanks for being here, Jeremy. Glad to be here. We usually get to know a little bit about our guests before we dive into the topic of the day. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about you? Where are you from and how did you get here? Wow, that's a, that's a lot. It, it is. <laughs> it didn't uh, happen overnight. No, it didn't. Uh, I'm actually a transplant. I moved here to Lincoln in 97 when I left the Marine Corps and went to the university for four years. And then during the uh, fall of my junior year, I uh, did my internship here at the sheriff's office. So I started in November, I believe, of 2000 and went all the way up to shortly before graduation in the spring of 2001. And then I was hired with the sheriff's office a couple weeks later. Awesome. So... Let's, let's walk back just a little bit. So where, where were you from originally then prior to Nebraska? Oh, I'm a Marine brat. Okay. So I live mostly uh, on the West Coast. Okay. Uh, for most of my life, except for the last two years of high school where I spent it in Beaufort, South Carolina. Okay. And did you, was, was the Marine Corps always a plan for you or, or kind of what were you looking at doing coming out of high school? There was a plan. Okay. Uh, I actually wanted to be a fighter pilot. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh. Looking back, I think I was uh, I was an impressionable child. My dad was a uh, criminal investigator in the Marine Corps. Okay. And as a young child, I would see him at work. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, here I am years later as a criminal investigator. Right. So, so you had a little law enforcement influence then even even back in those days. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. So awesome. Were your folks from Lincoln? Uh, Western Nebraska, small town okay. of Eustis. Oh, yeah. Okay. We'll have to talk about Eustis later. Absolutely. Okay. Super. Where is that? About uh, South of Lexington. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm an Iowa brat, so I don't know all yeah. these. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, okay. So you, uh, so you got in the Marine Corps and then you, when you got out, did you, um, did you decide to go into anything specific for law enforcement or was this something that just kind of developed an interest out of your internship? Uh, actually, before uh, my first, during my first year of college, I did a ride along uh, with the state patrol. Okay. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Uh, and then during my internship, I did a ride along with the Lincoln Police Department. And then during the course of my internship, I was going out on ride alongs with the sheriff's office. Yep. And then uh, just decided that uh, the sheriff's office was the place I wanted to be. And there was an opening, and I was very fortunate enough to uh, be selected and hired. Awesome. So you, uh, you started probably in patrol, like most deputies when they get here. I did actually, I started out on a swing shift. Okay. Uh, I think I came in at about seven thirty at night and worked until about, uh, 
3.30 or 4.30 in the morning. Yep, yep. And then how long, uh, how long were you on patrol then um, before you tried something different in the office? Uh, I was on patrol until about the fall of 2004. Okay. When uh, I moved into criminal and actually worked with the chief on second shift in criminal. Yes, you did. Back when we had a second shift criminal spot. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, I think I think you were, I think you had rotated out of criminal shortly before I came in, for when I was in criminal, um, 2000, 2006? It was something it was, like that. Okay. It was the fall of uh, two thousand six. I rotated out. Okay. And then moved back to patrol. Yep. And took a second shift spot uh, down in Hickman. And, uh, but you've done a lot of other stuff here at the office, um, you know, specialized things even outside of criminal. So walk us through, what are some of the other, you know, DRE and some of those other things that, uh, that you've picked up over the years? Uh, one of the first specialties that I did, uh, was, uh, early on in 2003, I was selected for the clan lab team. So heavily involved in dismantling, uh, meth labs yep. and conducting investigations on those. Yeah. And then that kind of slowed throughout the years. And, uh, Shortly after my selection to Clan Lab, um, I put in for TRU yep. and was selected uh, several months later. And then uh, I was also the uh, coordinator for all of our personal protective equipment uh, mm-hmm. following 9-11. Yep. And uh, now as a drug recognition expert, I started that in 2013. Yeah. So you mentioned TRU. So we're going to say TRU a lot in this episode, but that stands for the Tactical Response Unit. And... You, when when did you get on TRU again? Uh, I believe it was a fall to the winter months of uh, 2003. Um, I know I was on the team before the Howland Tornado in May of 2004. Right, right. Okay. Very good, very good. So with that, we're, we're here today to talk specifically about the tactical response unit and what it is, why we have one. But, Sheriff, let's walk back a little bit. We haven't always had a tactical response unit. What what kind of gave birth to that, and why did we need one in the first place? Well, it was in the late 70s, and um, SWAT teams weren't very common. They were mostly in large cities that could afford uh, the tactical equipment and the training. And um, there were a number of uh, incidents on, on a national scale that, just required other agencies to look at um, having tactical units on a peripheral or on a uh, just an as-needed basis. And so uh, I think it was about 1979 when, when uh, we started our tactical unit. All of our, all of our equipment was uh, surplus military stuff. We didn't have any budget. Mm-hmm. And um, we were able to get a few long-range weapons that, uh, you know, uh, urban urban and rural law enforcement is so much different because we might have, uh, you know, a 200-yard open space to get to a house if we need to get up there. And if somebody in the house that's armed, um, that's a real a real danger. So it, it's a little bit different situation. And, and uh, yeah, Sheriff Adams started the tactical unit back in, I think it was 79. And then um, it kind of uh, just loped along a little bit until, uh, until well, probably the mid-'80s. Um, when when we started to get better equipment and uh, it really became what it is. So we talked about, I think it was on episode 18 when we were talking with Jared Brabeck about the Bearcat. Mm-hmm. But once upon a time, 
there was a there was a vehicle that you guys had used. Did did we always have a like a deployment vehicle for the tactical response unit, or is that something that came later? No, um, gosh, we uh, we had an old military ambulance that we used for a while back in the eighties. Uh, um, it wasn't armored by any means, but it was just a, a vehicle to transport the the team wherever they might need to go. Mm-hmm. And I think we got that in about uh, oh probably the late eighties, eighty eighty nine, maybe ninety. Right, right. So, Sheriff, we we have a TRU team, Tactical Response Unit. Right. Kind of an what, unusual name. What was the thought process when this started? Everybody thinks of a SWAT team. Why? Yeah, why everybody did, does, isn't it? What's just, with the name? Well, we just didn't want to be like everybody else. SWAT was uh, what the, the 1960s television show was. Which, which stood for? Special Weapons and Tactics. Okay. And um, um, I think Lincoln Police uh, had adopted that same name for their unit. Um, State Patrol had the Emergency, emergency Services Unit. Um, I think uh, ESU is what New York City uses. It in, is, yeah. For their uh, their tactical unit. Uh, you know, we, we bantered around a whole bunch of different uh, uh, acronyms, you know, and what sounded cool. You know, TRU sounded yeah, pretty pretty uh, cool, and it's, uh, it's what it is. It's a tactical response unit. You know, we talked about the Sheriff's Hostage Intervention Team, um, but the acronym just didn't fit well. So... Uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll let, we'll we'll let, let people the, do the, <laughs> the acronym at home. but Yeah, so uh, yeah, so we, you know, we finally settled on TRU, and that was uh, the sheriff at the time, Ron Tusing, said, yeah, that sounds great. So, okay. Trivia. Trivia. Very good. Ben, you commanded the true team for a while. Yes. So how did, how did things kind of change over the years, um, you know, in, in your career? Because you were obviously a member of the team, um, were you a member of the team before you commanded it? Oh, yeah. I was I was on the team for probably about 26 years. I started okay. out as an operator, um, became assistant team leader, team leader, and then uh, to the commander uh, yeah. on that throughout my, my career. So when I started, we'd have our tactical vests uh, that we used our soft armor. We did not have level threes and level four plates and uh, that kind of equipment. And it, we did get some budget, but it certainly wasn't compared to what it is now on, on equipment-wise. When I took over, uh, some of our, our rifles did not have tactical lights on them and uh, things of that nature. So we ended up uh, just, as time went along, piecing things to, together to improve the team and um, kind of built it on from there. So when you mentioned rifles... There was a time that our, our patrol deputies didn't carry rifles. That wasn't oh no, that wasn't a normal Shot, thing. Shotgun was the shotguns were um, an option for deputies uh, as far as a standoff weapon, but that was about the extent of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the only weapons that <clears throat> had any long range capability were were assigned to the TRU. Yeah, yeah, the three hundred eight and two twenty threes. Yeah, you know, like I remember from growing up, I think you know that North Hollywood bank robbery shooting mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a big deal that I think changed a lot of tactics in people's minds as far as just the threats that we were dealing with. Well, the Austin shooter from the tower was but, one sure. of the biggest Even ones. That was, yeah, that was about 1965, 66. I remember that yeah, and, pretty and, well. And that started some of the thinking of the tactical part because they were at such a disadvantage um, mm-hmm. height-wise and uh, weaponry-wise. And so I think that was one of the key 
events that started making larger law enforcement agencies. There was a the Howard court. Johnson standoff in, in New Orleans. Right. Mm -hmm. There was the uh, Texas Tower incident in Austin. And then I think the the uh, there was a uh, a shooting where four California Highway Patrol officers were shot and killed by some bank robbers that were very, very well armed, and the troopers were, you know, armed with their handguns, and, and they were all killed as a result mm -hmm. of that. So those things combined, and that's what I referred to, like, on the nationwide scale, um, those were the things that were the kind of the driving force to get tactical units uh, in place. Mm -hmm. It's sad that we have to be so uh, reactive. I mean, yeah, bad things exactly. happen, and then we we make plans and start to develop ways of uh, dealing with those. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, that kind of brings us up to, you know, the modern day then with TRU. So compared to some of the some of the things that that it started for, what what would you how would you characterize the mission of TRU today? What what kind of resources does it bring to the table and, and what role does it serve at the sheriff's office? Well, I think if we look back to even the 60s when SWAT started with LAPD and then here in the, the late 70s at the sheriff's office. Uh, I think the mission has always been the same in that we always want to resolve situations, uh, whether it's a hostage situation, a barricaded armed subject, uh, or any situation that we're called upon, is to resolve that successfully and to minimize uh, the loss of life or injuries to not only uh, the person that uh, we're dealing with in that situation, but also uh, innocent bystanders and, and law enforcement uh, that may be unseen. So we want to minimize it as much as we can and uh, reduce any injury. We have a hierarchy, and you know it goes to hostage citizens, police officers, to the suspect, and then evidence. And those are the hierarchy of prior, you know what we put on our priority list of what we, as a tactical team, deal with. <laughs> Let's walk through that, unpack that a little bit again. So just for people that are listening at home, so you have a, a prioritization that you yeah, go through of, yes. of, of the the priority that you place on certain things in an incident. So, yeah, say, say that again. Walk, well, walk number one is if are. it's a hostage situation, your hostage is are your number one priority. Your next ones are your citizens, yep. you know, innocent citizens, which you can really easily take care of if you get a good perimeter. You don't have to usually worry about those walking around in that. And then you come to your law enforcement personnel and then uh, the suspect or mm -hmm. who the bad guy is that's doing it. And then it goes into evidence mm -hmm. in that. And so um, those are the priorities you end up uh, making sure. So as you make your plans and to determine how you're going to react and when you react on that hierarchy. Yeah. You know, you're, you've been an investigator for a long time, Jeremy, and so much much the same as we have investigators to maybe step into cases that that go beyond the either the time involved or some of the skill sets involved for a deputy working a case. I guess I, in my mind, I look at the tactical response unit is sometimes called for tactical situations that maybe a, a, a normal deputy either either isn't isn't equipped or isn't trained. Um, to resolve all by themselves is that is that a good way to, to yeah, think and that, of that yeah, and yeah. that and not enough manpower mm -hmm. sure and so you know you, you are able to make one quick phone call and start getting a lot more units with and individuals yeah. with uh 
with higher training, of course, but you can get some numbers there and you can kind of dominate a situation to the point where the bad guy's looking at it going, mm, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. There, there's too many of them. And like time talking tactics is our number one thing and how we want to deal with these uh, situations. Yeah. Well, let's talk about manpower a little bit and, and kind of the members and positions that are on the team. So what is the, what is the current staffing of, of TRU and, and what members make up our team? Absolutely. Uh, well, if we actually look back, our team has grown a mm -hmm. lot over the years, and it's going to grow uh, by one member here this week. Uh, but back in the 70s, uh, when the sheriff was one of the, the founding members, um, they started off with seven people. Mm. And uh, now we're, we're up to 15, and we're going to add that 16th person uh, this week. And so when we look at kind of our, our team structure, uh, we've kind of got the admin side or the headquarter unit, and that would be the, the team commander. And then we've got the team coordinator and trainer, which is the position that I now occupy. Okay. Uh, followed by our, our canine, our negotiator, who also is our medic. And then we've got our, um, our drone pilots. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they're, they're assigned to kind of the admin side or the headquarters side, and then we've actually got the operators or the tactical side, and then that's facilitated by the team leader, the assistant team leader, and then the operators uh, that are on the team. Okay. And even amongst the operators, I mean, they have different jobs um, or specialties for certain things, whether it's breaching or, or other things. Can you talk about those positions at all? Yeah. Uh, so each member has a specialty mm -hmm. within the team. Uh, so we've got folks that are uh, snipers, mm -hmm. uh, long-range uh, observers. Uh, we've got uh, members who are trained in breaching, uh, whether that be manual, mechanical, uh, explosive. Uh, we've got members who are trained in uh, less lethal uh, that uh, can take distraction devices, chemical munitions, specialty impact munitions. Uh, so they're trained in that. Uh, and then we've got other... Uh, members uh, who are trained with um, the shield, the shield. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you need to remember, a lot of these individuals, they're all trained to do a lot of these different things, but we have people who are specially trained that are in their instructors that can teach the team. So we don't have to go outside on these areas that um, our people can do that. And that they are experts in those fields, yeah. but all of the, you know, all the tactical team members are able and know how to properly use distraction device or chemical agents or things like that. Because you don't know who's going to be in what position and where you're going to need to be able to deploy those. So you can't just have one individual because they'll be where you don't need them to be. Or not, or not be able to be there at all for Cor whatever reason. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, so everybody's got their own, their first priority, but they've all got secondary. Backup, backup roles and yeah. things like that. And they all do need to know, you know, high... Uh, CQB, close quarter combat skills on mm -hmm. the on room entry and things of that nature. And just to add on to that, uh, I think one of the great things about our team is uh, the willingness of the members to actually take on instructor roles, not only for those uh, specific uh, areas of instruction, but mm -hmm. they also take that and they teach the, uh, the agency as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have firearms instructors, we have shield instructors, we have... CQB instructors, less lethal instructors. So we have uh, quite a few instructors on the team. Yeah. Sheriff, is that something new or 
were those individual positions on the team, have, has that been, you know, with those team members all the way from the beginning? Well, I, I think um, from the beginning, you know, we had a couple of negotiators and a, and a counter sniper, you know, an observer and a, and a, and a sniper. And then uh, they just left you just a few people to do entry. And, mm-hmm. and we relied on, on patrol deputies to help maintain the perimeter. And if we we're going to have to make entry, then, you know, three or four of us were available to, to make entry. And so um, it was, uh, you know, you didn't always need negotiators in some, you know, and you didn't always need uh, the, the snipers if, if, you know, depending upon the circumstances. So, you know, you just, yeah, you, you moved around and did what needed to be done on that particular call. Right. Well, we don't want to give away every single every single piece of equipment that we use because obviously there's some things that uh, you know that we we keep for for certain situations. But can you talk to us maybe about just the the typical equipment loadout that uh, that our unit carries and um, what type of resources they bring to the table for a call out? Sure. Uh, well, uh, we've grown over the years in terms of equipment, uh, so now all the members on the team carry level three vest mm-hmm. and on that vest they carry various pieces of equipment uh, that are specific to their specialties um, and uh, we gas mask rifle handgun uh, and then they carry specialized equipment that's assigned to them and then when it comes to overall equipment for the team uh, we have all sorts of different pieces of equipment for breaching structures uh, cars mm-hmm. uh, buildings and then we also have uh, various pieces of surveillance equipment that we can use to uh, look inside of homes to yeah. uh, get information and build that intelligence so that way we, we can successfully resolve uh, the situation when did when did night vision kind of roll into our our operations probably about five or six years ago um, when we on the well with the pecs uh, in the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the 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 individual the yeah. individual ones where each officer or deputy had one of their own and can do that mm-hmm. now they had handheld ones we had a handheld huge thing you know back in the early 80s mm-hmm. it was the, the green you know yep. and, and it was huge and yeah it was uh it was an interesting piece of equipment it was expensive right pretty cutting edge technology then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. back in 2004 uh 2005 Actually, we got uh, two pieces of equipment in uh, Criminal, and that was courtesy of uh, uh, Investigator Crooks at the time. Uh, he got a grant for two pieces of night vision, and I know that that was also assigned to TRU at the time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, years later, we realized the significant need for night vision, and uh, thankfully we got uh, some money through grants uh, through our local emergency management, helped us acquire uh, some equipment there, mm-hmm. and then through uh, budgeted uh, money for additional night vision, we were able to acquire the rest. And then, Ben, you mentioned we've got some targeting systems now, too, that, that integrate with some of our night vision equipment yeah, the, as the well. Yeah, the PEC system. Uh, it's uh, a good thing that we can own the night at this point in time, and it's a huge advantage uh, for us to be able to do that. I've um, gotten to play... Uh, the suspect in several scenarios with simulations and it is extremely unfair when they come in and in the in the the darkness because they see you but you don't see them yeah well and i i even remember in the daylight one of the first things that i did when i started um it was an exercise that you guys had out at one of the lakes and i had to play the bad guy hiding in a tree somewhere and 
I was just kind of waiting for the thermal to come and find me because um, it, it's a it's an unsettling feeling to know that there's a team of people that are you know absolutely quiet, stalking you. quietly stalking uh, me. So uh, anyway, it's very very cool stuff that you guys have, and, and obviously helps you do your job um, in, in as safe of a manner as we can. Maybe walk us through you know uh, what a what a typical call out might look like. I hate to call any of them typical, but because they are very you know, situational dependent, like the sheriff said, but what, what is a, what does a call out look like from the time that you guys get to call to, to hopefully when it's resolved peacefully? Well, one of the biggest things we have going on right now is uh fugitive task force having barricaded. That's, uh, that's a good example. That's yeah. most of what our calls are is an individual's in there and he or she uh, is highly likely armed and unwilling to uh, come out to be arrested. I, I would agree with that. Uh, the fugitive task force, uh, before they go out and start knocking on doors, <clears throat> they're doing risk assessments on each of their uh, warrants, and uh, we already have an idea uh, if that person meets the criteria for a TRU call. And uh, so when the task force goes out and they find that person uh, and they start to uh, show resistance, then... Uh, the task force is already calling the team commander and the team leader uh, who just happened to be in the criminal investigative unit. And uh, from there, we're, investigators are going out and mm -hmm. we're assisting. And if we can't get any more cooperation, uh, then based on the assessment that was conducted prior to and then uh, through additional conversations, uh, the TRU team is activated and then they bring all their equipment and uh, specialty uh, stuff to the uh, the location and then we try to resolve it so sometimes it's resolved within a few minutes of their arrival mm -hmm. and sometimes it's uh, several hours right right that's that's kind of an example of maybe what people think of a typical SWAT call you know where, where we're going and talking to a you know an armed individual or something like that trying to get them to come out and take them into custody we were talking just before we went on today about the Howland tornado. And that's kind of an example of another type of call out that, that the true team um, has from time to time. Sometimes it's not anything to do with a suspect, but it's more to do yeah. with bringing those resources and that training and, and that manpower to bear on, you know, some sort of natural disaster. What did, what did true's involvement look like in the Howland tornado, for example? Well, I have to be honest. Uh, I was on the team at the time, but I was actually out of town. I was in Western Nebraska when that happened, uh, but I know just through talking with members and, and hearing everything that happened afterwards, uh, it was essentially a rescue mission. Mm -hmm. uh, it was bringing people to the location to try and locate uh, residents in Hallam um, and just trying to, to help the citizens. And uh, yeah. I mean, that town was destroyed. Yeah. So Ben, what is, what is a, a team like, TRU bring that maybe just a, an individual or, or partner pair of deputies couldn't do by themselves? Well, one, you get a lot more individuals, like uh, uh, Jeremy said, uh, real quick. There's mm -hmm. one call out, and it, it's being sent to a lot of uh, individuals. Uh, another thing is, is we've all worked together. And um, so during the Hallam incident, we could divide up. And uh, it was funny, we had maps made out. But when we got there, nothing looked like your map, you did not know. But our no main landmarks, thing, there was no landmarks. Yeah. It was it was. And the really concerning thing is, um, with the power lines down, you your head was on a swivel all the time, just seeing uh, if anything was hot. But uh, we went to residents, 
banged on doors, yelled down through, uh, you know, destruction just to see if anybody else was there. And, you know, with the command post, we were trying to see, you know, if people are calling in saying, hey, we haven't seen so-and-so, they lived here, and we were looking for them at that. So um, with that, one of the different things with that is, um, even though tragic, it was unbelievable that there was only one death. And uh, we ended up uh, working that part of it, too, Mm -hmm. for the coroner. You know, the other thing is that, you know, um, like oh, going to Hallam, and I think Beatrice got hit by yep. a tornado we a went down there years too. ago, and we sent our team down there to help provide security for a, for an area. But their uniforms are different. They're more utilitarian than mm-hmm. than our uh, road deputies would. So, like, climbing around in, in Hallam and in the destruction of those houses, easier to do, a little, a little bit more... Uh, uh, a little bit more practical for that sort of uh, arrangement. And then, you know, communications, each of the deputies, you know, on the TRU has their, you know, their communications and they've got headsets and, and they can handle those situations a little bit better sometimes than, than just a, a, a normal district deputy. Sure, sure. If you want a challenging career, a career where you can make a difference in your life, your family's life, and the lives of those in your community, Come and join the Lancaster County Sheriff's Office. To learn more or to apply, visit us online at www.joinlso.com. Well, let's move on a little bit to the selection. And and how does someone become a member of the TRU team? That's a great question. Uh, Well, uh, to apply to be a part of TRU, you have to be uh, with the Sheriff's Office, for two years, mm-hmm. and when an opening is posted, you uh, send a letter to the team commander, letting them know of your interest. And then once uh, <clears throat> everybody has sl- uh, submitted their names, uh, we have a testing date where they do a written test, uh, they do a physical fitness test, uh, followed by a firearms proficiency uh, test. And then once that uh, is all finished, uh, the team meets. We go through all of the information, and then the names, uh, depending on how many openings we have, are submitted to the chief deputy and the sheriff uh, with a recommendation, and then it's up to the chief deputy and the sheriff to approve it. Okay. what What's on a written test for the tactical response unit? Uh, there's just some tactical questions up there that most officers that who are serious about becoming um, a tactical member should ha- have knowledge of. There are articles from the National Tactical Organization Association that um, we have for suggested reading and things of that. Mm-hmm. So those are the types of questions that we end up asking in- individuals. So if so, if somebody's listening at home, wants to become a deputy and hopefully uh, you know member of the TRU someday, or, or maybe somebody here at the office that's mm-hmm. that's already a deputy but wants to wants to join the tactical response unit, what? What kinds of things can they do to be successful, to be selected? What, what are we looking for? One is, and I think the big thing is, you know, yes, you have to be in shape. You have to, you know, we can teach you to shoot, you know, some, you know, those, those kind of things. But I think the number one thing is be a team player. Okay. You got to watch out for the guy next to you and not be worried about just you. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones who end up uh, being the best members for the team. And, and one thing I think right now that is great is, Everybody who's on the tactical team now, that's their mentality. Mm-hmm. And uh, they take it serious. Yes, you need to, you know, 
you got to stay in, in condition. So if I, somebody goes down, you got to be able to grab them with, you know, 40 to 50 pounds of equipment plus their body weight to get them out. But, yeah. you, you know, the number one thing is being a team player. Sure. I would add team character too, just your character as a person, mm-hmm. um, somebody that uh, people can rely on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also what's your, uh, how are you as a deputy? Mm-hmm. And what's your, uh, how do you, interact with folks in the office? What, how do you conduct investigations? Uh, how are you overall as a deputy in the office? And then what's, uh, uh, do you go out and seek training? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be another thing. That initiative and things like that. Absolutely. Initiative, uh, going out and getting training to show that you want to be a part of the team, that you're going out and trying to improve yourself. I think those are all important uh, traits and uh, things that we look at. Okay. Very good. So you get selected for the for the true team. What's mm-hmm. next? Where, where do I go after that? Training. And what's that look like? Eighty hours of uh, training, and uh, we do it through uh, the Omaha Police Department. Uh, okay. They've been very gracious and uh, open with allowing us to come to their uh, their two week uh, training course. So okay. uh, we've done most of our training through them, uh, mm-hmm. but we have uh, also sent members to the uh, Nebraska State Patrol out in Grand Island. Uh, so we will send uh, members to either or yeah. um, and to, to get that training. And then after that, then it's uh, more training, trying to find that uh, specialty uh, that you want to do on the team and right. that we have availability for, and then we continue to send people to more training. It's probably worth noting, are there are there any, you know, we call it a tactical response unit, SWAT team. Those terms are kind of interchangeable for the most part. What, are, are there any, agencies in Nebraska that have full-time tactical members? Yes. And would that be Omaha and? I don't think Omaha has reached a full-time team yet. Okay. I know there's been discussions uh, last I heard, but if you look at uh, uh, Las Vegas Metro okay. and LAPD, some of the bigger uh, metro areas do have full-time teams. Okay. So elsewhere in the country, but as far as Nebraska goes. Yeah, or, or, Omaha yeah. does not have a full-time okay. team at this so, time, but they have enough members that they have people who are on call, who are off call and things, because yeah. they get, um, the, the, they have a lot of narcotics uh, warrants. Mm-hmm. And so that way, um, you know, as you can imagine, you can't sit in home and have a few beers if you're on call and ready to go. And that's another thing, you know, I don't think people understand is when you're on with these tactical teams, you don't just, you know, you got to remember, um, you can get called out in the middle of the night. And right. I tell you, if you keep calling in and say, hey, I'm out of town all the time, or hey, I drank too many beers, you know, eventually it's going to come down to, well, we, um, we can't count, we on, can't you. count on you. Yeah. yeah. And so those are the things that, I mean, it's, uh, you got to be dedicated and want to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's just a good perspective for people to have because we, maybe it's a, maybe it's a good news, bad news that we don't have a high enough need like Las Vegas or, or right. some of these other places. But, when we're talking, you know, these tactical units, this is not, we don't, we don't just have a room of people sitting around waiting for the bell to go off. You know, it's uh, this is, this is a a duty above and beyond what their normal day-to-day job is. Yeah. We're classified as a part-time team. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have deputies every day who are uh, either off duty, um, sleeping during the day because they work nights, or we have deputies that are on during the day uh, serving various functions within the office from patrol, civil, criminal, Etc. The one good thing, though, I, I would say about our op- office is, you know, when that call comes out, everybody 
through all the divisions uh, do what they have to do so those members can get there to that call out and sometimes we have to call in people on overtime just to work patrol because we've lost too many of them right on that so well how for for your your citizen in lancaster county how would you say that the tactical response unit makes lancaster county safer well we have the ability to bring uh not only manpower but equipment mm -hmm. uh, a lot of great equipment that we've been fortunate enough uh, to acquire uh, to a scene mm -hmm. um, and when we show up on scene not only through our training and the equipment that we have um, at the location um, but our ability to resolve it and resolve it successfully mm -hmm. and uh, and minimize any injuries to to people that are at the scene and i think that's the most important thing is over the years we've acquired so much equipment uh, that we're not taking unnecessary risks. Yeah. Sure. Sheriff, what, when, when Jeremy says resolve successfully, what does successfully, you know, look like in, in your mind? What? That means everybody goes home safe at night. Okay. Citizens, Citizens cops, cops, bad guys. Yep. Home may be different for them, uh, than, uh, than their normal residence, but everybody goes where they need to be safely. But that's our goal. Without injury, you yeah, bet. Yeah, you I mean, bet. We, we've got a lot of tools and tactics and equipment, but yep. um, they're all things that we hope to not have to use, right? I mean, um, if, if we're going to use them, we're using them for the to hopefully be able to achieve that successful resolution, at least as, as peaceful as the suspect will allow. We give them every opportunity to be able to come out safe. Yeah. And that, that is always their option, and they are the ones who are going to end up making the opposite choice on that part because we will do everything we can. But at some point, we do not have control over what those individuals do. And um, we do have the equipment and the things that if that choice by them is made, that the, the situation will be resolved. And again, it, it's our hierarchy of who is the most uh, important on that whole list, and uh, mm -hmm. that's how the, the situation will go down. I think it's important, too, when we bring all this equipment uh, to a scene, uh, we're just not pulling out and just using it. Right. Uh, there's there's legalities involved. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's where uh, I'm sitting with the team commander in the command post, and we're constantly evaluating what's taking place based on information that's being provided to us over the radio by the team commander or the team leader, excuse me, and the assistant team leader. And then as we're evaluating uh, we're making determinations of where this equipment fits mm -hmm. um, and, and being able to use it. And then, you know, we have the also we're very fortunate that the chief deputy with all his years of experience, um, we can reach out to him mm -hmm. and we can consult and make the determination uh, when it's appropriate to use uh, certain pieces of equipment uh, because we don't want to uh, use it inappropriately and mm -hmm. cause uh, problems for us down the road. Well, there's another thing, too, people need to understand, you know, just because somebody barricaded, let's say there's an individual who barricades, who's never had a, uh, anything violent whatsoever, it's for a, a felony, but it's a bad check, you know, that doesn't always require the tactical unit to end up going to those types of calls, because when you send out a tactical, you're, you're upping the ante, the use of force mm -hmm. right then and there by having them be present. Mm -hmm. And yes. so those have, that's the reason why when Jeremy was talking about they meant the level is the individual uh, has to have a history of violence and the means to carry that out or have a, there's a likelihood that they can. So those are the different things is, you know, we're making decisions on using the tactical team. We're not just going in on everybody 
who's hiding under a bed with a misdemeanor warrant bring our attack team out. And I, I think that's a, a point worth making. I think there are some that that feel that it's a it's a provocative move anytime that we send the the true team out. So I think to your point, we're not we're not sending the team on on everything, um, and it has to meet certain criteria. Right. And um, and I know Jeremy, you're also you know an instructor with de-escalation and things like that. Yes. And I know that that's an important, just like we have a lot of physical tools that are that are on our vests and on our belts and things like that. We've got a lot of mental tactics and tools at our disposal, and, and I think de-escalation is one of the first ones we reach for. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where you know our negotiator, investor uh, John Brady, who's one of our deputies, um, he's been through n- numerous courses and conferences involving uh, negotiation, and a lot of that is based on some of the de-escalation models, and uh, so uh, absolutely, he's either in the command post with us or he is up front with the members uh, trying to uh, resolve the situation just by talking to somebody and reassuring them that uh, it will be okay and that we will get them the help that they need. Yeah, the best choice is to come out. Yeah. And yeah. He de- I, I'm going to give a shout-out to John. He's, um, you know, he's been doing this for several years now, and uh, it's more than likely that he will talk somebody out than it <laughs> is that he won't. Um, there has been a few that we ended up having to do different tactics, but most of the time he uh, does a great job. And like I said earlier, you know, it's time talking uh, tactics. And, uh, boy, being able to talk them out is a good negotiator's worth their weight in gold. Yeah. As we wrap up here, I mean, we're fortunate in Lancaster County that, that we we technically not only have ours, but uh, but also LPD's SWAT team mm-hmm. and, and then technically um, the State Patrol's headquarter troop um, SWAT team. So how, do, how does our interaction go with some of those other partner agencies and, and training and operations and things like that? Oh, it's been awesome. Um, <clears throat> I've been on the team in various functions or capacities uh, since 2003, four, and uh, uh, we have worked great with LPD. Um, we've trained with them throughout the years. And I think since we got the armored vehicle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we talked about the MRAP in 2013 and then moving forward to uh, the Bearcat, um, we have continued to improve our relationship with LPD and we work well. And when we show up to a scene or they show up on our call, uh, we're working uh, the call and mm-hmm. we're working it together. We're trying to use all of our, our manpower and our equipment um, together. And uh, there's no egos. The egos are checked at the door and uh, we're working to resolve that situation. Yeah, it's be like the day, you know, a day like today. It's going to be 102 degrees out. You're out there with all your equipment on. Uh, it doesn't take long for you to be, you know, to the point you're you're drained. Mm-hmm. And we are able to, and so is the Lincoln Police Department, make a phone call real quick and be able to have more resources come in and help so that we can relieve our people but and stay on to the situation. You know, the Nebraska State Patrol a couple of years ago had a, a shooting uh, in Cass County that was active. Mm-hmm. And uh, they called for our armored vehicle. They already had theirs at the scene, but they needed a second piece. And so two of us drove out there and uh, we showed up and where do you need us? How do you want us to deploy? What can we do for you? And that's essentially what we did. We just, we, we did what they asked us to do and um, we stayed in our lane and we worked great with them. And at the end of the day, uh, the gentleman was arrested and everybody went home safe. Well, Jeremy, I think that kind of brings us up to speed. Uh, Any other closing thoughts or things with the true team 
think of anything. Well, I'm going to go on and, you know, our, we're lucky enough that our, you know, when I started in 95, 96, our tactics and how we went about doing it has changed drastically over the years and has become more, we, we do it safer. Mm-hmm. And I'm so proud that, you know, the sheriff has allowed our team to continue with that kind of training, keep us up to date. So we are one of the most modernized uh, tactical units uh, probably in the Midwest, if not uh, the whole United States. And uh, uh, when you choose to be um, have a tactical team, uh, you it, it is it costs money. Yeah. But for, a, for to have it, you have to spend it so that you keep up on everything. Because if you don't, it becomes a liability mm-hmm. to you the individuals who are on it to the agency to the whole you know all the citizens so that is one thing i'm so proud that you know we are up to date we are modern we have the best equipment and the training and when we we show up we do know what to do and how to handle these situations on credit credit to you guys on the team um, because you do really put in the work and and i think it's they do um you know from the just the organization to the um the time that goes uh, that's spent putting into training and and putting everybody through reps and and really just having that preparation um, because it is it is something that if if we're going to use it it's a bad day um, and and something has gone seriously wrong in Lancaster County but you know I, I think it's I think it's a little bit of safety and security for people to know that we are equipped to handle most most any situation tactically that comes up and that we can do that uh, relatively quickly. You know, the way it was explained to me in one training is uh, the tactical team is uh, the 911 for the regular police when something's gone awry. And True. that's who comes out and does that. And I also want to add, you know, we're doing monthly training all the time. You know, we don't just go to specialty training and not do anything. We're, we're doing that at least once a month, month, if not more. Yeah, I would add, you know, just besides the 80 hours that they get in uh, SWAT school, um, you know, we're training every month. And mm-hmm. that averages out roughly about 1100 hours uh, a year and that doesn't count for all the specialty training that they have to go to every year or recertify mm-hmm. every few years uh, so there's a lot of hours that are put in by these members uh, regardless of the weather mm-hmm. um, and we're they're constantly training they're putting the hours in and they're professional about it yep absolutely well Jeremy, we really appreciate uh, all, all the work that you do for the True Team. Thanks for taking the time to sit down with us today and uh, appreciate, appreciate everything it. you guys do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes today's episode of the 902 Podcast. We appreciate everyone tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and follow for future episodes of the 902 Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Be sure to reach out to us on social media at LSO Nebraska is available on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and yes, now even on TikTok. You can also shoot us an email over at LSO at Lancaster.ne.gov. We'd love to hear from you. Hope to catch you next time on an episode of the 902 podcast. Thanks for listening.